Everybody, welcome to the 240th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man uh, Sage looking, looking, looking a lot younger now that he has a skin regimen that he's doing. Um, but people aren't here to look to hear me talk about my skin regimen. We're here to talk about the damn Blazers victory that got us the preferred matchup in the playoffs. The Blazers, like they normally do under Terry Stotts, they turn it on at the end of the season. They are like that marathon runner who just has that kick over the last quarter mile. And what do you know? Winners of 10 of their final 12, they get the sixth seed in the Western Conference. They will be playing the Denver Nuggets Let's look back at the week that was. It started off with a 140 to 129 beatdown of the Houston Rockets, a game that saw Norm, CJ, and Dame all go off for more than 28 points. Portland had a franchise record 50 point first quarter, and the game was really never in doubt. They go on the road. They go up by as many as 16 points late. Excuse me. I don't know if it was as many as 16, but we were up 16 with about two minutes to go. Utah made it look respectable, but we all know Portland handled business against a shorthanded jazz team in Utah. 105-98 made even more impressive given the Utah Jazz had the best home record in the NBA. The following night, it went down to the wire. There was... A very, very controversial whistle at the end of the game, which determined the outcome. Phoenix comes up ahead 118 to 117, a game in which Dame did everything he could to give the Blazers the victory, but it wasn't meant to be. But thanks to a few other teams and their strategies, it really all worked out in the end. All Portland had to do was defeat the Denver Nuggets, and that's exactly what they did. 132 to 116. Portland was up by 20 plus the majority of the game. They get fantastic performances from their big three, 19 from Norm Powell, and end the season in a three-way tie with the Mavericks and Lakers at 42 and 30. Given that Dallas is the Southwest Division winner, that puts them at fifth. And because Portland went two and one against the Lakers, that put them in sixth. Lakers now have to play the Warriors in that 7-8 play-in, which is going to be mm, chef's kiss. That's going to be super, crazy. Uh, super spicy. So it, it has been a, a really strong week of basketball for the Portland Trailblazers, a really strong month of May. I didn't think we would be here, Sage, talking about Portland in a, in a playoff matchup that we thought we had a good chance at. Yet here we are. They did it again. For for all of our listeners who are college football fans, it's almost like the Mike Riley coached Beavers of Oregon State and their football program where they would stub their toe two or three times early on in the season to teams that they should really beat. Yet by the end of the year, nobody wanted to play that team. They had turned it around and just became dominant. That's what the Blazers do. They won 13 straight uh, in 2018 to, to ascend to the third seed. In 2019, they, they had a similar kick 
to get the third seed as well, even without CJ and Nurk for most of that run. 2020, we saw their performance in the bubble, only losing twice to get to the Lakers uh, in, in the first round. And then this year, winners of 10 of their last 12, they end the season 42 and 30. Sage, what did you see over this 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 week of basketball? Because this was supposed to be the toughest stretch of of the season for the Blazers. You, you look at that six game road trip. You look at the Laker game. You look at uh, the back to back between Utah and Phoenix, and then Denver. Like when we saw the second half of the schedule released, we all kind of. Uh, just took a deep breath and prayed a little bit because we didn't know how that was going to end. That could have been murderer's row. Yet the Blazers navigated those waters pretty, pretty, you know, smoothly. So what did you see over these, these final four regular season games that really have you optimistic heading into the postseason? I mean, we we can talk about, you know, our guards having great games at the same time, but the series of plays or the quarter that sticks out to me the most was Damian Lillard going superhero in that uh, fourth quarter in the Suns game. Yeah, I know it didn't end up in the uh, optimal like way that we would like as Blazer fans, but to see how he would just carve up a very good Suns defense with Chris Paul and Mikael Bridges, you know, being point of attack defenders and him getting to the line easily on some, like, NBA 2K, whatever the year the best dribble mechanics were, like, that that was some shit. Like, he was, he was getting by them easily. And he was going north-south on them real easy to get to the basket. It wasn't a lot of east-west dribbles. He might have gotten a little pit, but it was to get them off balance and just to attack. Just to see how well he played in the fourth quarter of that Suns game gave, gave me way more hope than anything else. Because if if our superhero is kicking ass like he did in that Suns game, we're going to be a hard out in the playoffs. Absolutely. You know, Damian Lillard played like an MVP in in that game. He did not take a rest in the second half. Normally, he gets the rest after the third, usually the first five or six minutes into the fourth. Phoenix behind, you know, Torrey Craig and Cameron Payne of all players, really had a nice little surge going into that fourth quarter. I believe they were up eight or, eight or nine points. And Dame, as he is you know, prone to do at times, says, Terry, I'm going to go the distance. I feel like we can get it done. And he had 24 points in that fourth quarter. He ended up with 41 points, 16 of 23 from the field, logged a game-high 43 minutes, five assists, five rebounds, only committed three turnovers. Three turnovers in the amount of time that he was on the floor. You look at the 43 minutes. He had the ball in his hands damn near every time he was out there. That, that is an incredible display of taking care of the basketball. And you mentioned it, Sage. He was north-south. And there's a couple of points that I wanted to touch on. First of all is the Phoenix defense. We talk about the Clippers having the most weapons in the Western Conference to give Damian Lillard some fits. Well, Phoenix has to be a close second. Oh, absolutely. You've got Chris Paul, who has been known for his defense. The yeah, referees the referees give him the benefit of the doubt, so he's able to play more physical. He's very cerebral, and he knows what angles to take. They also have Mikhail Bridges, who could easily be a first-team all-defensive candidate this season. They have Jay Crowder on the weak side. like They are littered with defenders on that roster. 
Yet we kind of saw Neil Olshay's vision with the roster construct in that fourth quarter because you had CJ McCollum, who was hot as well, 27 points uh, north of 50% shooting. You had Norman Powell, who only took nine shots, but he hit four, and he's a threat to shoot the ball from three as well. Covington and Nurkic. Like, there, there was really nothing Phoenix could do when Portland actually spread that lineup out and they let they gave Dame some room to attack. Like yeah. he was he was like on his Russ Westbrook type of shit. Like he got a he got a little bit of a steam and started going downhill north to south. And they had no answer for him. And yes, even in defeat, that gave me a lot of hope because that's the Dame that I want to see. Everyone, you know, logo Lillard and, and the deep threes get the highlights and those are fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But when Dame is cooking, he is getting the ball and going to the basket and making defenses look silly because there's not a lot of defenders out there who can keep him from getting to his spots. And to see him do that on the second night of a back-to-back without getting a rest in, in the second half in a game at the time, the Blazers were thinking had to be a must win. It would have clinched the playoff berth. You know, you just see the determination, and there aren't many players better at this game when he is in that mode. So you look at Portland and you look at Damian Lillard as that superstar caliber player, and and I think that's really, Sage, what was the turning point. Dame probably got a little bit healthier and Mm -hmm. also decided, hey – I got to be better. You know, we talked about it on the last episode yeah, where Bill Beckner, his trainer, was texting him, NGE, not good enough. Well, I'll tell you what has been good enough, Sage. Over his last 12 games, Damian Lillard is averaging 30.3 points per game. He's shooting 54% from the field, 48% from three, 95 from the line. He's giving out uh, seven over seven and a half assists per game, grabbing four and a half boards, one steal playing 35 minutes and only turning the ball over 2.6 times. Those are all world, all NBA, MVP type of numbers. And he's capable of doing that in long stretches. So that to me was the best sign of, of the week is that he continued his all NBA performance. Because like you said, Sage, when our superheroes going, Everyone else feels like they have a chance. You felt so safe. That game, you felt so safe. Imagine, imagine if you're, you're Nurkic, if you're Mellow, you're Simons, you're, you're CJ, you're watching this. You're like, there's no pressure on me. It's like, we, we got th- this guy's going to take us to the promised land. Yeah. Like, all I got to do is hit my open shot because you're going to get open shots when Dame is cooking like he was. That, his court gravity couldn't have been bigger. Like, we we we've talked about a ceiling performance. That that quarter, he scored twenty four points in the quarter, and I think only missed one free throw against one of the best defenses in the league on the road on the second half of a back to back. Like two there's... point of attack defenders that all world. Like I mean, Chris Paul's old, but you know he can get in the stance and steal the ball or play great defense. Like. He split double teams like it was nothing. Like, this was NBA 2K15, like, oh, with all the quick-ass dribbles. It, it, I, I, I was on in an Xbox Live party, and normally I watch the games in, in silence, but, like, dog, like, watching him do his thing, 
like it got me hyped like oh shit this is what it's like to watch a master at his craft whether it be Damian Lillard carving up the Suns defense or you know some amazing player musician or MC like to see them at their the the, te- the peak of what they can do is it's it's really inspiring to watch so yeah Damian Lillard's ceiling performance and his efficient performances in the last few weeks has, has been really really inspiring to watch cuz you know if you listen back to like a month ago the podcast was a lot more somber because there was a lot of if inefficiencies to his offense now there 50, is 40, no, there's there, there's no fat on this stake you know what i mean like th- this is prime cut that it doesn't get any more elite than 50 40 90 and he's doing it with defenses keying in on him every single time he and has a, lot, a big percentage too it's not like it's it's two threes a game it, it's like seven ten is it been 10 threes a game? I mean, that, that just shows the frequency and the efficient efficiency of what he's doing and what he's producing. It's, it's crazy. And then he has his best core of team teammates in years, like CJ McCollum, Yusuf, who's played playing at a really high level, especially defensively, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Carmelo off the bench. Anthony Simons, who's been playing more confidently, like this is this is like the perfect time to click. We're 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 hitting our stride at the right time. It's obvious Denver wasn't putting their one hundred percent effort in into this matchup, but they're not going to get that much healthier. Game one, you know, they're still dealing with some massive injuries in the guard spot. I mean, Jamal Murray's not coming back, but will the thrill and Monte's still coming back so like Dame and CJ and, and Norm kicking like this now whew, it's gonna be it's gonna be disastrous for Denver you mentioned CJ and I, I think it's important that we give him his due as well because I don't think you can mention the Portland Trailblazers and success in the same sentence without talking about CJ McCollum like we, we talked about Dame and rightfully so but CJ has risen his play. We talked about it last week that we need more from CJ. He is capable of being an elite player in this league. And this week, I thought he really answered that call, Sage. Over his last four games, you're looking at 26.3 points per game on 53% shooting from the field and 53% shooting from three. That's on damn near nine attempts from from downtown. Also handing out five and a half assists per game. When we get efficient Dame and efficient CJ, especially in the playoffs when the game slows down a bit and the possessions are more valuable, that's where Portland really becomes a tough out. And and I thought that obviously Dame is going to be one in, in terms of the hierarchy of what we saw this week, but a close two is CJ McCollum because there's no Western Conference Finals appearance in 2019 if CJ doesn't perform how he did against Denver in that conference semifinal. And I'm starting to see similar types of shots. I'm seeing the the mindset from CJ. 
he just seems like he's rounding into form as well heading into the postseason. I, I've noticed that he's been way more attentive in team defense as well. Like, if there's a rotation that needs to be made, CJ's going to do it. And they might, like, the opposing team might make the shot, but it's a contested shot rather than a wide open shot. It's something that I've noticed in the last month with with CJ is that he's willing to do the rotations, which, like, we, we saw with uh, the Pacers when Dame took the challenge of guarding uh, Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, like, when you see those main players getting in the stance and running in rotations or taking on a, a challenge defensively, it's going to be trickled down to, you know, Norman Powell or Nasir Little, like, oh, if if our star's doing this, I got to do it or I'm not pulling my weight. So I, I, I want to definitely give uh, CJ his shout outs because I definitely have noticed that him, you know, running out at shooters when, you know, in January, you know, 10th, there wouldn't have been a rotation. So, you know, Yusuf coming back definitely helps. But the effort from our two superstar guards defensively has been a, a, a huge thing for us. One thing I wanted to get your opinion on, and it happened, I believe, either after the Houston or after the Utah game, but a member of the media basically asked Dame, hey, is this the best collection of talent that you've had since you've been in Rip City? And I, I think he said yes. Like, it's one of the most mature teams that he's had. Like, his second and third years with, with LaMarcus and Wes in that group, he said, like, he felt like they could win every night they stepped out on the floor. There was a certain maturity around that team. He said this team has that same vibe. Like, they've got a good mix of veterans. You've got a good mix of young and up-and-coming players. And obviously, the core has kind of been there in the trenches. Sage, this is going to be, like, the first year that this core is going into the postseason. Uh, there's a few leftovers, I think, from 2019. 2020 is kind of a anomaly just given the the bubble nature and the the layoff that they had leading up into the bubble. So you're you're really gonna see the impact of, of a player like a Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor, Norman Powell, who has won a championship with the Toronto Raptors. We've got guys who I, I think do a really good job of staying even keeled. Do, do you think the maturity of this team? is going to help them come playoff time. Absolutely. I mean, you got a first ballot Hall of Famer in Mello and then a guy who's actually won it in Norman Powell. Those experiences are, are, is only going to help the, the the rest of the team. And just think, in Dame's second or third year when, you know, Wes and Nico and LaMarcus were there, he wasn't handling the ball as much. Like he's took he took over like a solid fifth of the responsibility from the those years till now. So it's officially his team. And then there's players that he wasn't the he wasn't the alpha with the Marcus. He was he was his Robin. Now he is the 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 superstar, the, the engine of that offense. So to have guys that recognize he's the alpha and will defer to him in moments 
is huge. And he didn't have that in it, when he was with the Marcus. So this is the new team with Dame as the figurehead leader. So, yeah, I, I think that the experience of Melo and Norm and Ennis coming back and, you know, players le- knowing their role and I think it's going to be huge. I, I, I really think that uh, Dame, ha- we, we're in a good space with Dame and the rest of the players. So, and, I mean, if you think about it, the only player that we have in the rotation that we kind of have to worry about, like, is this, is the, are the lights going to be too bright? Is Anthony Simons. Everyone else in the rotation has been there, done that. And this, is mean, Ant, this is Ant's first playoff run. Did Ant not play in the bubble? He wasn't getting re- good rotation minutes. Okay. Now it, it's been it's been like four years since the bubble in my mind. Uh, I, I didn't. Know. I mean, he he may have played, but he was yeah. not in the rotation. Like that was Gary's spot. Mm, okay. Okay. We have the best leader in sports for if the b- lights are too bright as well. So if if Ant isn't ready for that spotlight in Denver. We have guys that can help him in Dame and CJ and Mello. Like he's in a really good spot with his vets. You know what I'm saying? He has some A one vets that he could talk to, and you know. So yeah, I think that I feel very confident in our eight man rotation. Maybe maybe a nine because Denver might push the pace in altitude. So we might need that ninth guy to play a little bit more. But I feel really good about our seven or eight ready to play. Yeah, there's some deficiencies, but I think this is playoff time. This isn't isn't December basketball where you can take advantage. Like, everybody's going to play hard. Those guys that could only play hard for their minutes, what are they going to produce? So I feel very good about our eight-man rotation with how talented they are. And I know that their effort's going to be at an all-time high. So, you know, th- those guys on Denver that are hustle players that, you know, each and every Denver fan loves, they ain't going to be producing like they, they, they were in that regular season. One player that I think holds the key to Portland's ceiling and I think we got a little bit of a, a mixed bag this week is Yusuf Nurkic. He was one of our keys that we talked about, you know, it was Dame playing at an MVP level and can we get peak Nurk? Uh, I think we saw the good and the bad this week for, from Yusuf Nurkic. And I think it all boils down to which Nurk do we get? He was to put it nicely, abysmal around the rim against Utah and Phoenix. I felt like Six- he provided good defense though. Yeah, six of 21, but I think if you're talking about a big three, you have to play play both ways. And so he was six of 21 around the rim against those two opponents, but he was fantastic against Houston and Denver going 18 of 24. Clearly, Nurk is incredibly – his high variance is through the roof. But we need Nurk to be confident. And, and there was a moment, I believe it was in – the Utah game where he had a small on him in the post and instead of backing him down, going over his left shoulder and banking it in, he wasn't assertive. He ended up throwing it across the court and he got picked off. And that was after he had missed a couple of layups. 
finishing has always been a problem for Nurk. But I, I think if, if if we're podcasting after the season, after a certain playoff series, and you look at the games we win and you look at the games we we lose, I think there's going to be a direct correlation into Yusuf Nurkic field goal percentage because he is the outlet for this team. Teams are going to sell out to stop Damian Lillard, and we love running the offense through Yusuf Nurkic, letting him initiate it, letting him drop dimes, you know, letting him find the open cutters. But he is too good to just let him play in that role. You do need to feed him down low. You need to keep the defense honest. You need to give the defense different looks. And generally, if you're having a seven-footer out there, they should get some point paints. You can't rely on everything from the perimeter, especially in the pick and roll, which Dame loves to run. And Nurkic and, and is his... And we want to put uh, Nikolai Jokic in that. Yeah, you, you do want to get Jokic into foul trouble. Like that, that's or going to... Effort. Yeah, that's going to be an objective. Like, you're going to want to wear him down. I don't think you wear Jokic down on the defensive end of the floor if you're just letting Nurk be a facilitator. To me, this is where Nurk earns his money. He's going to be a free agent at the end of next season. If I'm his agent, you know, you're circling this because you can get players paid. CJ got paid off of that Denver performance. Evan Turner got paid off of a playoff performance. Uh, Bismack Biombo, Aaron Gray. Yes. Yeah, yes. like... A lot of players get paid off of one Solomon Hill got series. A, a near max for being able to hit a few shots two games in a row. So, yo, this, like, every GM is watching. Every GM is watching. <laughs> for Yusuf Nurkic. And Sage, I don't have the answers. Uh, yes, I, I do agree. His defense has been fabulous, and we're always going to need that. He is our defensive anchor. But this team... Again, if we're, if we're talking about wanting them to succeed and move on, we can't just have, you know, Dame be great on offense and just be god-awful on defense. Like, he's got to pull his weight on defense, just like Nurkic can't be great on defense and then be a huge liability in offense. I think everyone's going to have to raise their level of play and be two-way players. And I think Nurk is my biggest question mark on the offensive end. If you were Terry Stotts, how would you get him involved in the offense to ensure he sees the ball go in the hoop early and often so he plays with more confidence? Dame Yusuf pick and roll. I want to make, I want to force Joker to run. I want to force him to be engaged in, on defense because he is, he has, averages the most touches per game. And this was before Jamal Murray's injury. He was still the number one guy in touches per game. So now with Jamal out, you have to force him to move his body. And he's lost a lot of weight, but he's still not. He doesn't have the uh, Ennis Cantor abs. He's not going to run and chase Yusuf on those on, on those picks and rolls like him rim running. He's going to be in bad position. if you, And if you can force him to be in foul trouble because he lacks the mobility to d- defend that pick and roll, it's going to be huge. So what I would do if I was stopped is I would and I would say let let's make Joker run and pick and roll him to death. Like that that team doesn't have the defenders it did a year ago. So I, I would force I'd force him to defend the pick and roll and then get use of those points off the rim runs. Like you you know that they run great pick and roll. So that would be how I do it, and then force and force them to try and like send help on it. And then once you send help, the short roll passing from Yusuf will get 
Norman and CJ and, you know, whoever else is the spacer involved. So I would, everything would start and end in the pick and roll. And then once you force them to defend it, that's what I, that's where I would uh, pass it off and then make use of a passer. But I, I think pick and roll early often. I want to go back to the Phoenix game. Okay. And at the time, that loss pushed Portland out of fifth. And it felt like, here we go again. We're going to get shafted with the, the hardest opponent to play in the first round. And then a couple of things, you know, a couple of things happened in, in that game. I, I want to get your, your, before we talk about the aftermath, but let's talk about that game specifically, because even though it's extremely strange to say this, losing to the Suns in that terrible call on Norman Powell actually helped us play the Denver Nuggets. But Portland should have never lost that game, Sage. And I think that's a, a great teaching point for this team. Portland, behind Damian Lillard, built a one-point lead. They get the ball. CJ misses a floater, commits a foul over the back. Worst-case scenario, about a minute left. Thankfully, Saric just chokes two free throws. You're up one. Dame goes north to south. We get the lead up three, about 30 seconds to go. Okay, you're, we're feeling really good. Um, we get the ball back. We're up one. And here's where it breaks down completely for the Blazers. Instead of putting his foot in the ground and going, Dame just wastes too much time and ends up forcing a jumper. It has no chance of going in. Phoenix, instead of calling timeout, looks like they're going to leak out and try to take the game, take the game winning uh, layup. Thankfully, Carmelo made an incredible heady play, forcing a double dribble on Devin Booker. So we feel saved once again. There's about five and a half seconds left. We have the ball. We're up by one. Here's where I want your thoughts. It looked like Portland ran an out-of-bounds play to get Robert Covington the basketball to get fouled. Uh, he was wide open. Carmelo didn't even look anywhere else. We didn't run any sort of misdirection to get Lillard the basketball. Covington had just made two clutch free throws. He is an 80-plus percent uh, shooter from the season. Gets fouled, misses two, and they were both incredibly close, but he misses two. Do you like that strategy by Terry Stotts? Um, would you have liked to see him draw better plays to get Damian Lillard the basketball in, in the clutch? Um, what were your thoughts watching it live after having a chance to digest it? Because I think those situations are coming again. Oh, we, yeah. I, late game scenarios. find a way to get Damian Lillard the basketball. Yeah, I, I, I think our late game IQ has been kind of suspect for a while. Um because we, we went away from what worked and what worked was, you know, aggressive north-south action. And we went away from it to, to kill time. I, I think that in those clutch scenarios, we have to go with the guy who got us there. And that's Damian Lillard. So it was Dame, CJ, Carmelo, uh, Norm. There was no Norm. Oh, so it was, uh, okay. Yusuf, Carmelo. Cov, Dame, and CJ. I mean, it would be Dame, CJ. Mello was inbounding, so yeah. he couldn't shoot it. Yeah, I, I think that was an, that wasn't an optimal 
uh, play because it did look like Cub. It was designed to get Cub that little that jump catch where he get it, the ball can only go to Cub. Yeah, he threw it right to Cub. I mean, the Phoenix defense split like the Red Sea, and they went to our Damon CJ, and Cub just walked right up there and got the basket. It's unfortunate that Cub missed those free throws. I wouldn't have if I, if I was the coach or if this was two K. I, I would have. I would have made damn sure that one of my two superstars was taking that shot because I think that Dame or CJ is built for that moment. And we, we've we've in the past seen Robert Covington. That's not what he's on the team to do. That's you not really him fair in a situation to put him where in that he situation was, too. Yeah, you put him in a situation where he wasn't the optimal person. Like if I wanted somebody to put play off-ball defense, Robert Covington's my guy. But if you're going to put him in a clutch scenario to shoot two free throws to ice the game. That's putting him in a scenario where it's it's not what he was on the team to do. So I, I think that, that was unfair to put Rob in that position. I, I think that it had to have been, it, it should have gone Dame CJ. And if that didn't happen, I, was there a timeout left? Yes. So I would have done Dame CJ timeout. Speaking of timeout, Portland had a timeout. It was a controversial foul call. Norman Powell, Devin Booker, I wouldn't have made the call. I didn't see a foul call. I didn't see Norman use any sort of direct contact that moved Booker out of the spot. It looked like Booker was baiting the ref. That's what his intention was from the start. You could tell by how he fell to the floor. However, it was called. There was 0.9 on the clock. Terry decides to challenge the challenge does get Portland up to 2.4 seconds on the clock, but my, my question for you, Sage, is one, that's got to be like 100% certainty that you know it's going to get overturned because a timeout allows you to advance the ball. To me, even though we had 2.4 seconds, I'd rather have 0.9. We've seen what can happen with 0.9. I'd rather have 0.9 at half court than 2.4 at full court. So I, I think that was a blunder by by Terry Stotts. And I do think even though you probably go to, to a commercial break or whatever, he can say, hey, can you look at the clock? I mean, that, that would be really reckless for the officials to be 1.5 seconds off um, on, on the game clock. So, I mean, I really think probably Portland would have had the ball. You call timeout. They look at the clock. Okay, you go to half court. 2.4 seconds left, down one. You're going to get a damn good look right there. So. Hopefully it's a teaching moment for Terry Stotts. That was probably the worst. That was the, the most concerning thing I, I saw at the, over the four games. And yeah, it, it's a teaching moment. I, I, I think that the play call for the free throw is also a teaching moment. So hopefully Stotts adjusts to it. I've seen him learn more from his mistakes this year than I have in the past. So maybe he, he does, uh, uh, you know, learn from it. Sage, I want to talk about your, your boo, the apple of your eye, Norman Powell. We have seen him fit in like a glove some games and other times kind of be MIA. You look at the Houston game goes for 28 grab seven boards, get 17 shots. Then against, you know, uh, Utah, 
takes 11 shots, three of 11, not really on fire, only seven points um, against the Phoenix Suns. Again, 12 points, only nine attempts. Then against Denver, he's kind of back at it, 19 points and only, only, only nine shots. I get it. We, <laughs> I get it. We, we, we acquired him in late March and he is playing alongside two dominant scores. Absolutely. Is, is there, again, if you're Terry Stotts, how do you make sure that Norman Powell gets the ball? Because I think along with Nurkic finding opportunities for Powell early in the game gets him going. And I, yeah, I don't think you worry about him defensively, and he's not like Coving- Covington can just come in cold and just hit spot up threes. Like that, that dude has just become nails from downtown. Yeah, but Powell has been kind of hit or miss, and I really have loved all of the looks he's got. But when he gets into a rhythm, you're like, okay, this is the forty five percent three point shooter that we that we traded for, and I think it's going to be key for the Blazers to find ways to get him the ball early and often, whether it's getting to the free throw line or, you know, swinging the ball around and getting him open looks for three, because Dame and CJ are certified buckets. They can score whether they've went, you know, 30 for 30 or two for 30. They'll they'll take that last shot and believe it's going to go in. Norman Powell, I think needs to be into a little bit more of a rhythm to impact the game on the offensive end. So what does Terry do to get Norman looks early and often to kind of get him off the ground running. It might be getting him with less. I mean, let, let, let's talk about the, the players that he's on the court with normally. Dame has a huge usage rate. CJ has a huge usage rate. Nurk does. So if, if the goal is to get him the ball, I think maybe put him in lineups where there isn't three usage monsters on the court with him at all times. You know, it, it's Dame, CJ himself or CJ uh CJ Mello and him where I think he's the third option and I I don't know if that's that's the case in my mind I think he'd be the second with the CJ Mello but I I think it's legitimately get him the ball more cuz there are like there's like 6 minute stretches where he doesn't touch the ball he's just a spacer and to have I, I also I think in playoff time he's going to get the ball more because defenses are going to be a lot harder. So you need that secondary ball handler on the court at all times. So I think with the playoffs, he might naturally just get the ball more, but yeah, I I, I see the, the, the variance in his scoring output. Like, but you, you know, you go from the Toronto Raptors where it's team basketball and you go to, to the Blazers where it's ISO heavy Dame CJ Yusuf mellow. Yeah, the Raptors don't even really have a player who would warrant to be a high-usage player. Like, Siakam's a great player. Lowry used to be a great player, but I I wouldn't say either player should be getting 20 to 25 attempts a night. So, yeah, I think the situation in Toronto called for more And there was games where he was, like, the second option legitimately. Absolutely. Pascal was out or Kyle Lowry was resting or Fred Van Vliet was dealing with an injury. So there were games where he was the second in usage. There's no way he'll ever be the second in usage with this current roster. But I think he deserves the ball more. And I think he gets it because of playoff. 
this is where we, the the fact that he can be a playmaker is going to be worth its weight in gold. Watching Chris Paul for as long as I have, he's one of the best point guards ever. But in the playoffs, you need that secondary ball handler. So Norman Powell is going to be really, really useful for when teams just blitz the ever-loving hell out of Dame. And you've seen Norman, even today, I saw him move and hands up ready for the ball. And he got into a space where it was only he could get it. And it would it relieved that pressure from, from Dame and CJ. I, I think that the playoffs is going to be a big Norman Powell. Dribble pass shoot. I've got a couple rapid fire coming your way. The three Blazers. So removing CJ and Dame from the equation. The three most important Blazers for playoff success are Carmelo Anthony, Yusuf Nurkic, and Norman Powell. I would reverse Melo. No, no order. Just those oh, three. Uh, yeah, those are the three. So I would go to Yusuf, Norm, Melo. I, I, sh- I shoot. And Robert Covington. I, I think Rob has to be in there too. Yeah. Those are my three. So I, I, I didn't include Covington because you know what you're going to get. I think he's consistent on the defensive end. I think there's variance with the three that I named. That's why I think they're the three most important. You, you, we talked about Nurkic. We talked about how the team defense has improved under his return uh, as, his, as the lead defender, as the anchor of that Blazer defense. But offensively, we don't know what we're going to get. Norman Powell, can we get him the basketball? Can we allow him to really add another, you know, just a, a diverse weapon? to deploy against these defenses. And then Carmelo Anthony, it seems like when he plays well, the team plays well. There's this correlation, like we need Mello, we need scoring off the bench, we need isolation scoring in the playoffs. Is he going to be hitting? He is a very clutch player. He has been in the bubble. Are we going to get some clutch Mello buckets? So that's the reason I had those three as as the, as the keys, not named Damon TJ. And I, I think with the current matchup that we have, not, like I don't worry about Yusuf getting played off the court because they can't go small. Oh, they go small with with the Pelicans. That that was his last playoff series, really. Lakers, the Lakers. You didn't play him off because of, because of the size of AD and uh, Javale or Dwight. In New Orleans, they played him off the floor really really fast and easy because they would just spread the floor and Yusuf was a liability with this Denver matchup. And we let's not look ahead at anything. This Denver matchup, you're not playing him off the court. Norman won't get played off the court. I think those, those are playoff players and mellow because of his experience isn't going to get played off the court. I would like for the last five minutes of the game, Robert Covington to replace him because I don't think we need extra offense. I think we need defense, but, I think that those those three are going to be huge um, for us. And they're all like, those are all playoff players. And it's a different brand of basketball. Dribble pass, shoot. Damian Lillard should be all NBA first team this season. Should be, yeah. So I yeah, shoot should, it. Should, should be is the question. Yeah. I, I'll shoot that, like, if if they think Luca's a three, I think he'll he'll get it. 
Luke is a guard, and I, I shoot that as well. I think the guards are Dame and Steph. Luka Doncic, to me, puts up great stats, but I don't think he has an impact on the game. Dallas was relatively healthy the entire season. They had Luka, they had Josh Richardson, they had Tim Hart, Tim Hardaway Jr. All I'm saying is they underachieved. Everyone thought Luka Doncic was going to be the MVP, and I just he's just a dude who puts up stats and I I get it. He's going to be fantastic. He already is, but I think there is an unnecessary want by NBA, the media members, their marketing to, to crown these prodigies too early. And I think the fact that he's, you know, a, a white guy who's about 22 years old and seemed to be the, the, the second coming of, he was going to take the torch from LeBron and you, they want to get they want to give him everything right now. He'll get his due later. L- 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 let's let's be patient. Damian Lillard has Damian Damian Lillard has had a better season. He had to carry this franchise for two months without uh, his defensive anchor and Yusuf Nurkic and his backcourt running mate in CJ McCollum. They they've only had about a month uh, of Norman Powell. We won games with Ennis Cantor starting as our center in a modern NBA when nobody else wanted him. Like, look at some of the rotations we were playing and the numbers that Dame was putting up. I, 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 I do think Dame should be first team all NBA. Um, he'll probably make second because he had a pretty rough month of April, but I, I think that one month is un, unfair to punish him. We still ended up with the same record as the Mavericks. We won the season series. Dame outplayed Luka in, in the, the head-to-heads. Um, yeah, but but also you've got you've got three three you know mouths to feed in Brooklyn, so that that's gonna be really hard to justify. You know, Kyrie or James or even KD because like I, I think that there is validity in players like a Giannis or an Embiid or Jokic that they are the franchise pillar. Like you cannot move them that if they go down, the team crumbles like Brooklyn's they're Yeah. I mean, they played half the season with only one of the big three and yet they're still the two seed in the East. Like they are stacked. So I I don't give a lot of individual accolades to teams that, that are just that, that's stacked. So, you know, what Steph did with the Warriors, with Wiseman going out, um, when winning, you know, yeah, like he, he has had a season that, that he, a Dame had that a similar type of season last year. Put the team on his back, got to the playoffs. Well, the, with the play in now, the Warriors are still technically waiting, but they'll probably be the seventh or eighth seed and put up just incredible numbers. I, I think Dame deserves this first team all NBA and I'll argue that till I'm blue in the face, but um, I also wanted to get one more dribble pass shoot in before we wrap up. The Denver Nuggets are the best possible first round matchup Portland could have asked for. Indeed. We, we, we killed that topic last week. It absolutely is that they're injured with their guards I mean, we can defend the like. Of course, they are going to be a good team. They 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 have the MVP, but 
I feel very good with our post defense on Joker. They don't have Jamal Murray that can take the roof off roof off with his ceiling. So yeah, it's it's the optimal matchup for sure. All right, Sage, before we wrap this one up, and for all our listeners, we will have our comprehensive playoff preview once the schedule has been released. We'll have dates, we'll have times, give us time to do a little bit more research. We wanted to chat with you and discuss what happened on in this crazy last week of the season. The, the Clippers tanking to avoid the Lakers intentionally really threw a wrench into everything. That was the saving grace. Um, them losing to the Rockets and Clippers opened up the door for us to play Denver. But before we we sign off, two things I want to mention that I just saw. Like while you were going to the bathroom, I was looking at Twitter and Casey had, had a really good point. There's two huge storylines that I didn't even think of. Obviously, we played Denver in 2019, but Yusuf Nurkic is returning to Denver. He was not a part of that series. And a one, Carmelo Anthony is returning to Denver as well. So there is going to be a lot of added incentive and motivation to get the job done. So do you think, let's be real here. Let's let's break that shit down. Do you believe in revenge narrative or remember me narratives for all people or some people? If you're a, okay, what there's, there's 400 MBA jobs available. Give, give or take, you have to be wired a little bit differently to be one of those 400 elite. I would say Nurk and especially Carmelo are at the top of that list. Like we've seen Nurk. Nurk is the king of pettiness, showing up game five of the OKC series with a Westbrook t shirt. Like he's rocking the baby as well. Like Nurk will talk shit with the best of them. You've got Carmelo Anthony who. I think feels slighted that the, the Denver organization doesn't show him any love. So absolutely. Like you grind, especially in this season, 72 games. Seems like they played every other night. There's going to be, there's going to be a lot of motivation. So you, you look at Nurk, he has. Yes, but there's, so I just got done watching the last dance for a second time. Even the greats need that little extra oomph to go out there and perform, especially when you're, yes, they're going to get a little bit of a reset with this five to six days off, but they're still tired. And so to go out there and find ways to motivate yourself to say, Nurk, they, they got the league MVP. You got to go out and shut him down. Carmelo, they're not, they don't have your number in the rafters. Why don't they have your number in the rafters? They haven't, they gave the league MVP your number. Okay. Dame, that should be your MVP. Like, there's things that you can do to psych yourself up. And I think the storylines for the series are absolutely fantastic. And it's it's weird to think about it, but there's all there's the greats find ways to motivate themselves, especially when it's not going to be a packed arena in, in either venue. So there, there's just gonna have to be a little bit that edge to get that little bit of edge because both teams are going to want it a lot. But do you have that edge that makes you go over the top and say, we're going to get this done. And and here's, here's how. So with, with what I do with daily fantasy, I deal with 
revenge narrative or remember me games quite quite frequently because there's so much roster movement in the NBA. I don't really, I mean, as a data point, but it's not the data point for me. I mean, there's some regular season. I would agree. No, but there's there's some players like Jimmy Butler where yeah, hell yeah. He's going after Carl Anthony Towns, but to say that we're playing in the playoffs now, Doug, I'm not going to project revenge narrative in with Yusuf or Mello just because they're locked in. They're not going to try any less hard or try even more hard because of, you know, what happened with this franchise before. I mean, that's just that's just what's worked with for me in my projections for for, you know, these four or five years. I just remember what you these seven years of playing daily fantasy sports. Um, <laughs> so for me in my projections and doing things like, you know, win loss, I'm not going to, that's not going to be a major data point for me. It could be, but how are you going to track it? Revenge factor is so hard to track. I, I I'm it's, it's because it's an intangible and I'll tell you why I agree with the, the motivation or the remember me factor all you have to do is go back two years. Blazers Thunder, Russ talking a whole lot of shit. And you best believe that Tame wanted to shut him up because he had, all he had to do was wave. Like he, he knew like that was extra motivation for him to go out there. That extra motivation to put up a 50 piece in game five and hit a 37 footer. Like he busted his ass and I've never seen Dame play that way on defense. I've never seen him so animated. I mean, I, I saw him clap his hands after clamping Russ up, then pull from damn near 40 feet. And then he was so animated that series and that gave Portland the edge. So regular season, I agree with you. I don't think it exists. Maybe the first, first game back. The postseason is a different beast, especially because the players don't know if they're going to only get four or seven games. Like I, I do believe that there's going to be some extra incentive. I don't know if it's going to make them necessarily Better or worse. What if the what if I think you better? Had to make I think them, them worse. So that's why I don't. In my projections, I don't use it. I, I that is not a a valid data point because um they 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 did a uh, they did a DFS survey of revenge narratives in regular season playoffs and it like really wasn't a factor because sometimes they did worse, sometimes they did. It's so hard to track. They're so gonna I, do better. What better? They're gonna do better. Okay, I mean. They, but then the narr- if they do worse, there's that narrative. Oh, they were too excited type shit. I mean, Could be. They're going to play 100% of the effort that they can in that given day. They're, they're not going to try harder just because they played on that former team, in my personal opinion. I respectfully disagree, but Sage, let's wrap it up there. So I, I have a question. Who? Do, I know this is way in the future, but who is your uh, finals matchup? Oh, I will. I will answer that on our playoff preview podcast once the official brackets have been set. So, we'll, we'll teaser there. We'll teaser there to let our listeners uh, know we got more content coming up this week. So, actually, I have a question for you. On this is some basketball, and we'll keep this in just because people will expect a two-hour podcast from the Holy Backboard. But so there's a prospect we can't get him because we don't have a pick. But there's a prospect named. Uh, Scotty Barnes and Scotty Barnes 
to me has the one of the he's going to be like a top 10 IQ guy in the league. He's a a little bit below average athlete. So how much do you value IQ and feel for the game? Would you rather have a guy like Scotty Barnes that his IQ and feel for the game is top notch, but he might be a below average athlete? Or would you rather have that high level athlete with below average feel? What is what is your opinion on like team building in that type of type of way? I take the former. You take the Brandon Roy, the C, the CP3, the Damian Lillard type of player. I wouldn't say either of those three players are incredibly athletic, but their feel for the game is through the roof. There's no way Chris Paul is playing at 35, 36 years old because he's athletic. No, he's able to play because he's super cerebral and he thinks the game and the game slows down for him. So in essence, he's a step quicker because he knows where to go. Like you, he knows where to move his body. So basketball everyone can hoop but there's only a few players that can actually think the game through and, and know how to counter and just get their teammates right so I, i'm always taking the high level intelligence player yeah so yeah so uh, uh, you know like i know we don't have picks but i've been paying attention to the draft class and you know like i would love to have david johnson because i think he, he was the point guard on louisville i would love to have more high IQ, high field players on this team. So, you know, it, 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 there, there's definitely the discussion on Twitter, like, where do you value Scotty? Because he, he does, can't jump really high and he's kind of over aggressive on help. But, like, if he hits, it's a 1 5 defender that playmake, that can be a secondary playmaker and you know, be be Draymond Green essentially, but if he doesn't hit, it's like rotation player. So Scotty Barnes is going to be a very high question mark guy. Like if he if he hits, he's going to be great. If he doesn't, he's Jabari Parker. So yeah, it, it was just it's just something that I've been noticing. Like people have these, you know, strong opinions on Scotty. So yeah, but this is a uh, episode two forty. 240 of these episodes of the Holy Backboard. Thank you so much for listening. Um, the uh, playoffs is a different animal for the Holy Backboard. It, it really is hell for me. <laughs> it destroys me every year. So please listen because uh, we record on the same day and publish on the same day. So, you know, give that extra like. <laughs> give that extra retweet for the playoffs because your boy is going to be exhausted. Also, we're on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, and uh, 2 to 3 uh, Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.